Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Kaleidoscope with your favourite student co-host, me, Bella Wallington, with a stinky cold, and none other than Libby Gervais. <laughs> You're listening to the podcast all about shaking up perspectives as we look through the kaleidoscope at culture and social issues in different and challenging ways. Libs and I love a good discussion, but we definitely don't claim to be right all the time. Yeah, exactly. We don't mind diving into those grey areas, so please don't expect us to come up with black and white answers to everything. In fact, maybe I should say we're about seeing in multicolour as we try to take a kaleidoscopic approach to the topics we discuss. If you want to be part of the conversation, follow us on Instagram where we're now creating regular content. This week we have a very special episode for you with our very first guest and boy is she a good one. We are so excited to share this because we really enjoyed recording this conversation. This week, we turn the kaleidoscope to look at internalised capitalism, conflating self-worth and productivity, and the desire to make ourselves more profitable with our wonderful fellow Exeter student, Lottie Norman. Okay, so this is a very first. We have our friend Lottie Norman on the show as our first guest. Woo! <laughs> excited, Lottie? <laughs> Very excited. <laughs> um, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit of, about yourself and what you study? Uh, yeah, sure. So I am the lovely friend of Livia and Bella. <laughs> um, I met them both at university here in Exeter and weirdly don't study anything that's even similar to them. I study anthropology and politics which some may say is a very strange combination, but I think they're both very interesting. <laughs> um, and I don't actually remember how we all first met. I think I met Bella through drama, doing some acting, and then Libby maybe through mm-hmm. just friends of friends or just some weird connection. I, I'm not even sure. It's a very small world here in Exeter. And then we all did Be My Baby together. Yeah. We had Libby as our producer and we were acting in a show that we did last year, which was very fun. Mm. and brought us all closer I'd say it mm. definitely brought us all closer yeah it was a, an amazing experience we kind of all have bonded over theatre and art I suppose and stuff like that creative yeah creative <laughs> which people don't normally associate with anthropology and politics <laughs> <laughs> there's really interesting reasons why Lottie's our first guest um, which actually came about from a conversation Lottie and I had on Instagram of all places we love technology Mm. (laughs) (laughs) so I had shared a post by therapy with Lee who is a psychotherapist and it was a post saying internalized capitalism looks like and then a bullet point list feeling guilty for resting your self-worth is largely based on doing well in your career placing productivity before health believing that hard work equals happiness feeling lazy even when you're experiencing pain, trauma or adversity. And Lottie replied to my story saying it was something that she really needed to read, something that I needed to read as well, which is why I shared it. And then we got into a little bit of a conversation about it and Lottie's perspective was very interesting from the disciplines that she studies. So we thought that she would be a great first guest to have on the show. Why was it something that you needed to read at the time? Well, I think uh, like a lot of uni students right now, especially in third year, um, the workload seems to have quadrupled. And I had I'd had a bit of an off day 
And I'd, all I'd done is read my book and done most probably one reading. And I was feeling fine. I was feeling okay. And I went downstairs and I chatted to my friends. And I think somebody came in and they said, oh, I've done so much work today. I've done so many hours. I feel really great about myself. I feel really good. I'm in a great mood. And I was like, brilliant. I've done no work today. <laughs> and was feeling okay. And now I don't feel as good. I'm not going to lie. I don't, I don't feel as fulfilled. And um, it really got to me. And I was just, and I went upstairs and I sat down and I was feeling a bit glum. And then I saw your, your post. Um, and I was just like, yeah, actually, I've been lazy. And I've I had a really good day. I've had a really nice, relaxing day. And I shouldn't feel guilty for doing that. So that's why I needed to read it. Definitely to reassure me. That's so interesting. Why you inherently felt the way you felt. Uh, yeah, well, I think it's it's interesting, especially with this whole concept of in, internalised capitalism, that when you aren't consciously thinking that I shouldn't feel guilty. I'm always, always aware that I should be doing more, and I'm always aware that I should be striving to be the best that I can be, but why does that have to be a really hard-working, driven, constantly-on person? Why can't it be someone who relaxes half the time, uh, or mm. uh, however much you want to relax, and then works the other half. Like, why Why is it so internalised? Why do we think that way? It's very interesting. So going back to it, just for our listeners, what exactly is internalised capitalism? And how is this manifested in the way that you live and the way that most people live? So internalised capitalism, from what I understand it, is the fact that we as people have internalised capitalist values subconsciously in that we believe that our self-worth is synonymous with economic worth or productivity. So I believe that I'm going to be worthy if I have this job reference and I'm qualified in this and I'm qualified in that because it makes me seem more economically valued to society. And that gets driven down into the smallest things that we do. It's in it's in everything we do in the way we live our daily lives and it's it's fascinating because I don't know about you guys but in school I was taught about um, survival of the fittest in, in, in biology and in evolution. And it somehow became that the fittest was equal to the best and the highest achieving. And I was taught that from such a young age that it was competition, dog eat dog. If you're good, you get a gold star. And if you're not, then you kind of get put at attention. And that has filtered through into everything we do. And I think it's fascinating that that is the dominant theory that is discussed and... Another theory, which is very interesting, which I've only learned about recently in university, is that this whole concept that humans have got to where they are in today's society because we're very pro-social, mutual aid beings and that we actually rely on one another to help us, to help each other. It shouldn't be this selfish, competition-driven world that we're living in. It should be asking people if they're constantly okay and living off one another and working together as a species because that's got us to where we are. It's, it wasn't survival of the fittest. It's a great theory, posed by Darwin or whatever, but it was, it's, it's really dominated everything. And I think capitalism is at the centre of it. Very interesting. So it's this individualistic mindset that is leading our society and the way we function, mm. linking productivity and worth through competition. Yeah. And to be good at something, mm. you have to be the best at it in order to win and to be at your top game all of the time. And if you lack or if you slightly falter, there's something wrong with you. And for me, I think that way of thinking always leads to burnout because you're not stopping, there's always a next goal. 
you're always wanting to achieve the next thing and it's just not doable you always feel like you can be doing more and that's the worst part of it for me I think um I actually asked Instagram what they thought about this and was thinking about this little voice inside our heads we think of internalized capitalism in that way so I asked on Insta today what does the little voice in your head say on the days you feel unproductive so thanks to everyone that replied and came into our DMs really interesting stuff one thing that came up a lot was comparison so someone said everyone else is doing more than you you're falling behind you're lazy wasting your life that one really gets me um and then the comparison that on these days everyone else is managing it seems like everyone else is doing really well sort of what you were saying about your housemate Lottie Mm. um there was also you'll only live once so you are wasting your day which I thought was quite a positive way of looking at it perhaps but that um that listener said that they actually find that very annoying because they can't just you know watch a trashy film without thinking oh wait I should be doing something that's more meaningful I guess and then I was really interested in this response by someone who said you're wasting your opportunities and I hadn't thought about it in this way I asked them if they were basically being aware of their privilege and that's why they felt that they were wasting their opportunities. They said, yes, 100%, because I know I've been fortunate and being presented with so much. So for me not to use that, I find terrifying. So it's almost like there's a sort of responsibility there to do more, be productive, because there's so many options, so many opportunities out there. I also did a little poll So I asked, um, do you feel guilty when you have a day of rest? And last time I checked the poll, 81% of people said that they do. As if resting isn't productive. I think we'll probably come on to that later. And there's definitely a sense of these feelings being internalised because people were less worried if other people find them lazy and cared more about their feelings towards themselves and whether they think their selves are being successful and productive. So I wanted to talk more now about where that internalisation comes from. You were talking about children at school, how we're praised, um, the competitive nature of our upbringing. And yeah, just the capitalist society. So yeah, let's break down where mm. where does internalisation come from? I, I, I think it definitely comes from in school. We're from a very young age taught that competition is key to success and that is is if you're the top of the class then you are the best and I think that's something that's really um proliferated that culture is social media and I know you just said that it people don't necessarily feel judged for being lazy but I know for sure that my social status I take from significantly from social media if loads of people are seen doing things if people are looking great on social media it will make me feel like I should have been doing something I feel constantly judged, constantly connected. And I think that almost exaggerates this idea of competition because we're constantly competing. I'm constantly on my phone. I'm constantly connected and therefore in constant competition with not only myself, but other people. Mm, I think that's really interesting, Lottie, in terms of like being better at something. So 
the idea that you're lacking something I find from social media that I'm lacking looks I'm lacking good at being a good enough student being a good enough friend etc and then good old social media goes don't worry about that Bella because if you want to have better looks you can buy this product and, and look amazing or if you want to be a better friend why don't you send this card on Moonpig and then it will save you from all of your troubles and send some flowers or whatever and already it's integrated into our advertising next to our text messages that we should improve ourselves improve our relationships and improve our outlook on lives constantly that we never fulfill the satisfaction or hope for happiness that we think is achievable but is actually unattainable Mm. it's constant I think consumerism is a big issue in that we're constantly kind of shown all these economic things that can make us better and make us more worthy and we take them because if someone tells us this is going to make you look better or sound better then I think everybody including myself is guilty of being like oh yeah okay I'll do that and it'll make me feel better and it'll make me feel more appealing Mm. and I think all of these things that you guys have been saying benefits capitalism you're either spending money as a consumer to go into the economy or you are the one making the money by being super productive um or for us as students obviously that's a very interesting perspective because we are doing work now that we think is going to make us more profitable in the future i also think with regards to what you're saying on social media that being productive i think for a lot of people is almost a personality trait in the same way that you might think someone being quite lazy I know that there are some people that I really admire in our university society who I would say they're such go-getters and that becomes such a big part of their personality because our hobbies become part of our personality and and all the work that, that we do. I think that part of it's really interesting. Um, I also think social media does drive these things, but why does social media drive these things obviously to benefit capitalism and i guess as well with neoliberalism that just means competition competition um i was looking at this idea that with neoliberalism the rich persuade them persuade themselves that they acquired their wealth through merit ignoring the advantages such as education inheritance and class that they may have helped to secure it And then the poor begin to blame themselves for their failures, even when they can do little to change their circumstances. So it's like this idea of the American dream where anyone can make it. So it makes you think if you haven't, you just haven't been productive enough. You haven't done enough because everyone should have the opportunity to climb up the ladder, which is so unrealistic again. But, you Mm. know, if we're all working, then that benefits the system that we currently live in. I think almost a, a more cynical view of it is that the the to- the billionaires, per se, are convincing the working class that they aren't working enough. So you've got people who are close to abject poverty um, and are not even close to becoming a billionaire, but the people making £5,000 an hour have convinced the people making £25 an hour that it's the people who are making £9 an hour that are the ones that are... are causing this system they're being lazy and they're not working hard enough and they internalize that they're internalizing that because that's what they're being told by the most powerful people with the most money 
And I think it's this mm. ideal that if we earn enough money, that we will be happy. And that's a, a strong association that I think is very present in today's society, mm. is that if you earn enough, if you're successful enough, then you can rest, then you can yeah, stop. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's this idea that's also come from our parents' generation, that if you have the most stressful, long hours, like long-term working job, then that will lead to this fulfilled life of retirement at the end of your life where you'll then be able to reach your goals and everything that you wanted with the the most amount of money that you've ever wanted but you're living a constant life of struggling to get to that point which is often very unattainable and unreachable but we're but we 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 live this really highly competitive stressful burnt out existence which is pressurizing us inherently to live this way in order to do and live the life that supposedly social media wants us to live which I think goes back to the idea that you know holidays for instance making them seem like if you're not going on holiday then you're missing out so I've got to be earning extra money on top of my job in order to do extra things but but that need wouldn't be there if those sources weren't there in order to make you compare yourself to other people's lives leading on from that I wanted to ask lots what do you think conflating self-worth and productivity means and how exactly is it problematic? Oh, I think conflating self-worth and productivity is... Self-worth and productivity has almost come hand in hand where people who, as we've said, are productive and therefore make themselves feel better. But I also think a big part of self-worth, especially for young women or people on social media today, is beauty standards and how beauty kind of leads into this conversation um and it's interesting to to see because historically um if you look throughout history back in let's say the elizabethan era there were women who would pale their skin and dye their hair red because it because it associated them with affluence they looked like the monarchy and it made them seem more appealing to society and they were more economically valuable and therefore that's that's the the, they were they reached that that goal of being seen in society as very valuable and we've done the same in society today we see products online where they say okay this can make you more tanned like tanning oil drops I know a lot of my friends have I don't know if any of your friends do um or make your hair blonder because that is the ideal that we've set for ourselves in society today and mm. people do it because mm. I think it associates them with having more economic value so in all coming back to self-worth and productivity, I think it's interesting to delve into self-worth and what it actually means. Because I think beauty standards really count for a lot of it today. Mm. I was also very interested in what ways we try and make ourselves more profitable. And I instantly thought of good looking people making money. So <laughs> yeah. I was reading some articles and came across this idea called a beauty premium. Um, mm. And it's kind of, looking at whether pretty people make more money in the same way that you have like a, chen- a gender pay gap, whether there's a beauty premium where if you're better looking, you're doing well. Um, so I read a Forbes article from going back a little bit from 2017. Um, and there was a study from Journal of Business and Psychology. And researchers found that rather than physical attractiveness alone it's a combination of attractiveness intelligence good health and a certain combination of 
personality factors that drives higher salaries but most of those traits are considered to be part of those people who are better looking um so it, it may appear that physical attractiveness has an effect on earnings um because attractive workers are simultaneously healthier more intelligent and have better um in particular more conscientious more extroverted um like bubbly personality which is more conducive to earning more um it was also really interesting that it was talking about how unattractive people earn more as they got older because as you get older the the value of your looks is much less so i think that could be a really interesting thing to explore further um and mm. interesting again business insider also did a similar article investigating what they also called the beauty premium and they go on to talk about this halo effect where you take someone's appearance to be telling of their overall character so we all know that saying don't judge a book by its cover but it turns out when it comes to employing people that we obviously are we already know that we have bias um bells and i we've talked about bias in terms of gender and ethnicity etc but we haven't talked about it as much in terms of how attractive someone is and it's so crazy that that is just a way of making yourself more profitable and why why we want to do that because that's what society is asking of us but then you the thing is is with with beauty comes more money beauty beauty is linked to products and products is linked to buying which is linked to capital which means more money which means the cycle goes on and on and on i think also what's really interesting about you talked about age and how with age comes different forms of systems that you pride your worth your self-worth on and i think acting is a profession in which age and beauty is a massive factor which dominates the way you're cast in specific or different roles um and i think there is a certain point like i'd say up up to your mid 30s where you get the best jobs as a woman and it's changing but then there's a dry patch between 35 and i'd say 60 65 where women don't get as many roles and it's been proven mainly because of their beauty and the idea that they're getting older that they can't get the roles that they used to get when they were in their 20s or or early 30s but then there's a pick up again later on in life where then there are more roles which are accessible for the older age so it's that middle ground and gap that is lacking roles in diversity with women getting the same opportunities that men get consistently through their whole life not and and their and their beauty and their um aesthetics doesn't have an effect on their career you took the words right out of my mouth, Belle. So I was about to say exactly what you were no about way. to say. Were you thinking the well, same thing? I was going to talk about the music industry because it's very common that you see male artists that go from young to very, very old and have a continued career, whereas female artists tend to... I don't know about you, but I there's very few that I could name that have had a consistent career from when their looks, supposedly, when they reach middle age or whatever, supposedly that then it kind of peaks and then drops but I think it's interesting to see that beauty obviously means different things in different industries yeah yeah we've talked a lot about productivity in terms of jobs Mm. um 
working and making money. And that's obviously very apt because we seem to be defined by what job we do. Classic mm. example of how this is perpetuated in a society is when you're a child and everyone asks, so like, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be? It should be what, you, what do you want to do or what do you want your job to be? Not what you want to be because that could be a whole spectrum of things. And I think we definitely have a mentality of who who you are is what you do and your job ends up really defining you and I I feel like there's a pressure to get everything out of your job um and to really enjoy it because Mm. and that's not surprising because you don't have time to do much else because we work such long hours you always hear of people staying late in the office and having no time to do anything else so no wonder there's such a drive to want to love what you do so I just wanted to ask you guys the question, do you think you need to love your job? And should we encourage people to find a job that they love? Should we encourage people to find their dream job? Does a dream job even exist when we're basically serving capitalism and the patriarchy? Well, I don't know about you, but when I was younger, I was obviously told, what do you want to be when you grow up? And then when I've spoken to adults now, Not one person, unless they've become a doctor or they've become something that's very succinct in society, not one person has had one job where they've they've loved it. Like my dad, for example, has been through so many jobs and ended up finding what he loved. Mm. This idea that you want to be something, that you need to kind of fully take on this role and play it in society and that should be your success, I think is, is, is baffling. I don't think that any child should be encouraged to do that. But I also think that we associate success with kind of money and power and basically being better than everyone else. So when people say, do you want to be happy in your job? Uh, Like, should we be happy in our job? I think a lot of people associate being happy in their job with being the top breadwinner, the, the one who's earning the most with the best title. And I think it's it's they what what do they say? Climbing the ladder of success or something. Like everyone goes into an office situation. A lot of people work in offices. Every single office has a hierarchy, a a capitalist imposed hierarchy, whereas there's the top and there's the bottom and there's always an in-between and people are climbing, climbing, climbing constantly. And it's encouraged. It's continually encouraged. And I think it's a very toxic place to to work. And I think that I don't necessarily believe happiness would be associated with it or could come out of it. Mm. I think it's also the idea of wanting these material things that we've been conditioned to want and which for some reason, well, for the reason of capitalism, is being ingrained in us to equate the two together with material goods, with happiness. And if you have the more things you have, the better life you'll have. Um, and I think that's that's really scary. Like, like my my sister just hearing her when she was younger, absorbing absorbing and kind of hearing like different conversations and stuff. She's, she's, she's really little, but she overheard someone talking about a job. And she then said at a dinner party in front of like all these adults, oh, I want to be a bushwhacker. And we went, <laughs> sorry? <laughs> what did she mean? And what she meant was a hedge funder. But she got the word, because she knew it was a, like a hedge, like a bush, and a funder, she thought of a whacker. Oh and she didn't know. <laughs> 
she she overheard these Judith. conversations about that being a good job and good job being like more money and more money and she it's so interesting how children absorb and listen to conversations are like they're like sponges and they think about how you know if that's what they're doing then that's going to be a good life and that's what that's what I need to do and I just thought oh my goodness like you've got to be really careful about the way we influence what happiness is and 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 now she understands what it is and she wants she wants to still be a singer but like the idea that she wanted to be a bushwhacker was quite interesting yeah crazy Um, (laughs) i do think this is a really important conversation to be having at the moment with what the government are saying about people in the arts needing to retrain because it makes another internalized struggle be do i want my job to provide and actually make me money and how much or do i want to love it and enjoy it and it seems like they're pushing these things to be mutually exclusive um and i feel myself asking asking these questions to myself choosing my career path um also i hear my mum asking me these questions (laughs) sort of okay i might want to go into this but have you thought about if how much money that makes i think being in a privileged position i am in where financially my family's comfortable she does sometimes want me to remember that it's not just going to mean that I have that level of income. I do have to make decisions in what I do career-wise to, to match that, which obviously is a good reminder, but it seems like there's always a bit of a trade-off. Do I want to do something a bit more creative and be a bit unsure where my paycheck's coming from? Or do I want to do something more steady? I have been considering looking at law Um, which does interest me a little bit, but probably isn't creative enough for what I'm interested in, what I'm good at. But the fact that you can go into corporate law and you just know you're going to get money, there is a little part of that that is quite appealing to me. I mean, I've got a lot of clothes to buy. Oh, I know. But that's the same with with a lot of people. I can... I can bet you that every single person has thought, oh, I'm going to do this job and then has Googled how much the income, average income of that job would have. I've done it. And I also think that those posters that the government or the projections that the government have just released, I know we can think, oh, it's 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 that's poppycock. Like we don't have to listen to that. But young children who are seeing that if a ballerina, young ballerina saw that and didn't understand what it meant and asked someone what it meant and then got told that, she should reassess her dreams. She doesn't have the capability that we do to think, no, okay, I'm still going to pursue, I'm still going to go at my dream. She may think, oh, okay, I can't do that, I've been told no, because she has to have some sort of economic value to society where she pursues a job that is financially stable. Mm. Just really quickly, a sort of disclaimer on those adverts. They weren't actually issued by the government recently. They were appropriated from another advertising scheme to try and get more people into cyber security. But to me, that doesn't really matter because it still reflects what's going on. It's just what people have chosen to be the image of it. Um, But important that we get that fact straight. Yeah, no, totally. I think it's still very relevant to the situation, though. I think it's about... Yeah, I think it's relevant, but I I think it's also adapting. I think the idea of completely stopping a career path because of the circumstances and only stopping it because of economic value isn't isn't a good way of thinking about it. I think we need, as creatives, we need to be thinking of alternative ways of of going about things. And And I think people have been extremely inventive and imaginative with 
converting um, careers and opportunities into a virtual world. Um, but it's it's difficult because I was just going to say I think I think that's well. very true that people in um in today and this situation have to rethink um the way that they could go about their job. But I think what those what the message was that was coming from there was rethink retrain re like it's you're not being told to go onto the internet she those young girl that young girl in that photo who was a ballerina was being told you are giving up your dream and you are becoming a cyber trainee it wasn't go online and do that creative thing online it was it I just thought it was quite a harsh way of looking at it and it it really did Mm. shock me yeah definitely I was saying to my housemates I don't know if this is a bit far-fetched but I do wonder if slightly positively as a result of this advertising that we've seen, whether it will create more sympathy for the creative industry and thus get more donations from rich donors. So I'm just going to hope that that happens. <laughs> That's it's true. It's true. It's little thing to hold on to. Yeah, no. Because it has really mm. brought a lot of attention to it and a lot of a lot of creatives have poured their hearts out about it and you know what because they're creative they're very good at getting emotion across um so they are quite compelling yeah Uh. thinking about productivity in jobs and also us being student we've very much got a student perspective on this i wanted to ask whether productivity extended to our hobbies and our internalized conflating self-worth with productivity is also part of your hobbies or do you see your hobbies as an antidote to this thinking for example I've been doing loads of work for my degree but then I'm going to spend the evening relaxing by painting what do you think I think it's a mix of the two yeah because I because I think that Mm. how so it's a danger it's it's a dangerous grey line because what can happen is that something which has become enjoyable in itself, like painting, can become quite stressful when you put it into I have to paint mindset. Or like, if I don't do this, then I'm not being as productive with my evening. And, and you label it as, as a form of like doing instead of a form of loving and wanting to do it as a separate side note to your work I don't know it's... I find yeah no I find that my hobbies I almost use as a reward for being productive which is obviously just is feeding the cycle of using productivity and self and conflating it with self-worth but I will finish my work and then I'll be like oh okay I'll sit down and watch some Netflix. I feel like, yeah, I can sit down and I can watch some Netflix because I've done my work. Therefore, I'm going to reward myself. And then tomorrow I'll do the same. But I, I completely agree with what you were saying, Bella. I think it's very interesting that sometimes, especially for me with sleep, I'm like, okay, if I don't get eight hours sleep, then I'm not as productive as I'm going to be the next day. So even like sleeping, I'm taking mm. as a thing that I need to do well. Mm. Like it's, it's crazy to think that I'm literally shutting off and feeling like that. Mm. Mm. No, but even with like yoga, I do it. It's like I need to do my yoga, my fifteen minutes of yoga, and it's like that thing. And of you like, have to do it well. Which yeah, which it was meant to be my lovely thing that 
my escapist kind of exercise form of daily rituals. But it then became a, oh, I see online, it goes, make sure you keep your daily rituals, you know, make sure well-being, um, happiness, that's the way to go, buy this book. And it's like bombarded with, I've got to be, I've got to be well, I've got to keep my, you've got so many plates spinning in terms of productivity, in terms of health, um, wealth, like we've just discovered, beauty, mindfulness, mental well-being, physical well-being, everything. Mm. And surely that actually isn't part of the internalised capitalism that you feel like you need to rest, you feel like you need to do yoga to get back on the treadmill of working hard and producing loads. And also sticking with the hobbies and my example of doing art, I think it's really common as well to be encouraged to monetize whatever you're good at if, if you are making a product. So for instance, I now do commissions for my art. So my hobby has also become a way to get money. And I think that's probably the case for a lot of people. We can't, it seems like we don't often just enjoy something for us. It's okay, so now how can I put this into a marketplace? That seems to be our thought process with it every time. Um, you're shaking your head there, Lottie. It's Ooh. so crazy how subconscious this is. It's just, yeah. it's all subconscious. When you actually break it down and you think about it like we are and we're discussing it, every single aspect of our lives is influenced yeah. by this capitalist structure. And the thing is, I know it sounds like we're being very negative in that we're saying, do this and do that. And we're, we're constantly kind of conditioned. But I think it's, it's such a good conversation to have because the more aware you become of it, mm. the more you can see it for what it is and the more you can control it in your own way. Even if that's doing something small, like saying, if your mind tells you, oh, Lottie, you should be working, mm. then tell yourself, no, Lottie, you shouldn't be working. And that's one thing that I've done to combat yeah. this structure that we've all internalised. Mm. Definitely. I think also with, like, time management, so going back to, like, 10 minutes of exercise or 15 minutes in the morning, the fact that I give myself that time and I write it down and I'm like, this is your only time to do this because you don't have any other time in the day. You've got to do all this other reading, you've got to do all these other things. And if you do that, if you do too long of your relaxing time, then you've gone into your productive time and you've ruined it and you've wasted your day and you've given yourself too much self-time. Um... And you punish yourself, and, and then you punish yourself when you haven't done that either. And you're like, oh no, now I haven't given myself. <laughs> so either way, bonkers, you're, you're, you're being punished because you're, you're not doing enough of either one. And it's trying to get that balance of both. But you do feel that outside pressure. And you know that you've got to do that exercise. But I think you slightly feel that when you start seeing advertisements of, oh, Sandra did yoga today. And you're like, fuck, I didn't do yoga. I was meant to do it. Ah, oh, I feel really bad. And, and, and it's, re it's a really trivial example I'm giving. But the fact that you get so pent up on missing out when you were trying to be productive, but then you're telling yourself off for not doing something else when you were doing the other thing just shows you that we never feel fulfilled whenever we do anything. We're always missing out. I think it's also, are we doing enough, not just in quantity, but often in terms of variety and thinking about how we're going to be in the looking for jobs soon. There seems to be this thing of, okay, well, yeah, I'll do that. It's great for my CV. Okay, yeah, I'll do that. I'll look really good. 
and thinking about why you're actually doing it. A lot of, obviously, a lot of my hobbies I do enjoy, but I do think, oh, having a podcast and getting some followers, please follow us, everyone, is going to be a great thing to talk about at interviews or put on my CV or <laughs> put on my master's application statement. And it does make you question a bit, why are you doing stuff? Not that I don't love this podcast, Bells. <laughs> <laughs> but is that a bad thing? No, I, I totally, I totally get you. It's not necessarily a bad thing, I don't think. But I think when you, I think especially at our age, when I think we're almost all having an identity crisis, when we're not sure what we want to do or where we want to go, we're very easily swayed into thinking that our own worth is only economic. And that our only, our only um, path in life is to get a job. Like it's the only thing we need to do and you don't have any else, anything else that you're reaching for. It's just to get a good job in a good life. And that's it. Because we've had all our fun of our childhood and we've had all of this and we've, I don't know, done a gap year and gone travelling and we've done that, we've found ourselves and now we need to be adults. And that's, I think, specifically for our age group who are really susceptible to internalising things, mm. especially because we're very present on social media and also having identity crises. I think it's just, it's, yeah, it's interesting. So what's the alternative? What's, how can we change the internalisation of these values? Or do we need to change the system to not be capitalist overall? Well, if you're saying that we need to find an alternative to capitalism, it becomes very confusing and and please someone quite strong breakthrough. I know, but but realistically, if we if we wanted to have so the alternative to capitalism would be like anarchy, communism, socialism, which hasn't successfully worked, and then then you think, okay, what would what would be an alternative to that? And that would be a benevolent dictator, someone who's loving and and would give everyone everything equal and everything would be happy. But realistically, because capitalism is so driven into our society and is so structuralised, it would be a huge feat to think that we could wipe it from the slate and start clean. So I think it's, instead of considering a restructure of capitalist society, perhaps propose a method in which we can, individual internalisation can be combated. So how can we individually combat internalizing things that we see and we're shown and I think I know I've mentioned it before but a main target in today's society would be social media because I think it reinforces capitalist values of self-worth and economic value and I think it reinforces competition and comparison and I think that it, it kind of creates a platform and encompasses a culture of manipulation almost and that is what capitalist culture is it's a culture of manipulation and that is that's what could be combated. Individual kind of things that we can combat ourselves rather than targeting the whole of capitalism because that would be a that would be a hard task. <laughs> yeah, no, that seems like a really good conclusion and mm. a hopeful future to to work on it on an individual level instead of mm. tackling it. As yeah, a whole. I love this mantra that I found that you can tell yourself to undo some of this internalized capitalism. And it's, I'm a human being, not a human doing. <laughs> How good is that? That's great. You should get that printed, <laughs> put it somewhere. Yeah, on a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> you, Lottie, you said that you sort of spoke to yourself a bit and tell yourself, no, Lottie, you don't need to do working. My friend yeah. and I, we always say, listen to your body. And we always joke about it and go around, listen to your body. Because <laughs> we're always 
listening to our minds and these horrible thoughts. But sometimes you just totally. have to think, well, my body doesn't really want to do that. My body just wants to lie in bed. And so I'm just going to do that today. And we always, we're always going to have fluxes in our energy and what we feel up to doing. And I think there's a lot to be said for just listening to that rather than these in your head. Mm. I felt like you then, And Bella. just taking a step, like... Pardon? <laughs> I felt like you being saying this in my head. It's parrot. Yeah. I think just, I think taking a time to just step back. I think a lot of us are moving in such a fast paced time, especially us in our 20s. We're, we're constantly on and we're constantly doing stuff. I think just taking a second to step back and look at it from a third perspective and be like, actually, do I need to be doing this? Is this what I want to be doing? Mm. It takes no time. It's really hard to retrain yourself to think that way. But habits are. Yeah, really hard. And and I I think even being in isolation, I know I didn't discover myself or I wasn't enlightened, but like (laughs) over the two weeks, I think I did realise that I didn't need to pressure myself in certain things. I think retrains and resets your thinking to do I need to do that? Do I really want to do it? Does my body feel like doing that? Um, so time out, I think, from society maybe makes us question whether we actually want to be involved in the way that we're currently functioning within it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, of course. Mm. And I think we've got that privilege of having the choice to kind of take a step out and look at ourselves and maybe think, let's not do that. I don't have to work for that. I think coming from a comfortable background in a place where I have so many opportunities, I can do that. And I think an important notion is that understanding that this capitalist culture isn't isn't just a westernised culture. It's also prevalent in so many other places. Like I did a study um, last year at uni um, which was a study of a, a Maasai culture in, in Kenya, I think it was. And it it found that specifically the women there um, were kind of structuralized into these non-negotiable binding roles where they thought they had to fulfill certain values when they were struggling against poverty and education systems and and so many factors, and they don't have the choice to step out and have a look and breathe, but they're still struggling under this capitalist fulfillment um, kind of scheme where they believe that they, they've internalised this structure where they believe that they have to be something and they have to reach certain standards, even though they're in horrific situations of, of poverty and struggle. I think it's fascinating to think that, um, yeah, it's not just us. Mm, but we can do something about it. Yeah. on our tiny little individual level and I guess that's how ideology spreads so we can make change that way totally exactly it starts with the individual it starts oh, with ladies, the individual it starts with us <laughs> we have the power <laughs> it starts with us it starts right here uh, and so do you all yeah. <laughs> that was an absolutely fascinating chat Lottie and you have been an incredible first guest I feel like I've learned so much and expanded my thinking which is exactly what Kaleidoscope is about so thank you thank you so much Lottie that's okay I actually do have a recommendation I was gonna say if people wanted to have a read of a book absolutely I know so it's called it's called Humankind A Hopeful History 
and I'm only halfway through it, but it is a very optimistic look at how we don't have to be competitive and we don't have to be selfish because that's not the way it works. And it's it's really funny and it's really good and really eye-opening. So it's by um, Rutger Bregman and yeah, really good. So give it a read if you oh, want to. Oh, cool. Thanks so much. Yeah, for a hopeful future. <laughs> Amazing. But thank you for having me. I feel, I feel so honoured to be your first guest. We've loved having it's you. Great having you. I'm so glad we got to talk to Lottie about this subject because it's so helpful to have the perspective of someone studying a different subject and who just knows a lot more than we do. It's definitely a highlight of my week. That's it from us. Amazing. Before we go, remember that if you have a subject you want to discuss, big or small, DM us. We would love to have you on the podcast and you don't have to be an expert, you just have to be interested. I hope you're all well and you're not suffering from a cold or anything worse than me. (laughs) And remember, you are a human being, not a human doing. Bye! Bye!